Cards FM podcast. This is Scott Kesterson, and tonight you're listening to a conversation with Coe Griffin. This war is real. Fighting is everything. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Tempt not the righteous man to draw his sword. Conviction, righteousness, ruthlessness. To understand tolerance, you have to understand the line of intolerance. War is the teacher, soldiers are the students. They become the bards of war. Good evening, patriots, and today is Thursday, December 1st in the year 2022. Tonight we have a very special interview. Coe Griffin, who is founders of Cowboys of Trump, and I'll tell you, it's a, it's a real telling story of all he's been through and what he's continuing to do in the fight for this nation, walking with God and his love for Jesus. Before we begin tonight, remember what it is to take care of your wealth. We're in very critical times right now, and there's a lot of evil going on in this world trying to collapse this economy and force you into losing everything you've worked hard to do. That's why we have Birch Gold. <music> Patriots, will the lack of red wave during the midterms lead to a more emboldened Biden, more wasteful government spending, higher taxes, a deepening of inflation? And how do you protect your hard-earned savings from chaotic financial markets? The answer? By diversifying your retirement savings with real physical precious metals with Birch Gold Group. Text BARDS to 989898 for a free info kit on protecting your savings with gold in a tax-sheltered account. Birch Gold has almost 20 years experience converting IRAs and 401ks into precious metals IRAs. Text BARDS to 989898 and claim your free no-obligation info kit now. Don't let the left devalue your savings. Own physical gold and silver in a tax-sheltered retirement account from Birch Gold. Birch Gold has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau and thousands of satisfied customers. Text BARDS to 989898 and secure your future with gold. Do it today. Patriots, unfortunately, we are in a time and place in our nation where the media headlines are still driving the majority of the narratives and influencing the way people think about the situations in our world. This is a real problem, and it's one that I personally have lived through with my incident that happened in August of 2019 or 2017, and this is also something that's now become a plague for Coe Griffin. Coe is a hero. He started Cowboys for Trump. He's, he went to the nation's capital to pray. They naturally arrested him and threw him in the, in the D.C. gulag. He's been a county commissioner. They recently got an attack with him. And you're seeing as well just the nature of this woke weakness and fear culture that has been taking hold in America. One of the county commissioners recently filed a restraining order against Coey simply for riding his horse near the county commission. People have become weak. People have become consumed in a fear that creates a, a cultural and patriotic fecklessness, and I'm using those two terms as a real negative, the idea that patriotism now has been defined as weakness and men that don't stand up for something. Well, those aren't what Coey's about. Coey's a real hero. 
And Cohen's a hero that has been fighting for America, standing up for President Trump, but he's also a realist. He's also been outspoken about President Trump and the vax and other things. He's a man that walks truly with God. He is a minister. He's a lot of things, and I'm anxious to bring this interview to you tonight. Now, on a final note before we go, make sure as well that you're very aware of our personal and digital security. Digital security is as much as important in this day and age as any of our security because of what they can tap into to use against you, especially when we take a look at what they're doing to the people related to January 6th. That's why we have Start Mail. The protection of our privacy should be every American's right. But the government is watching. Big tech is selling our data and criminals are hacking our accounts. Everywhere you turn, we are losing our privacy. The most important step you can take is securing your email account. Consider the year's worth of emails and the information they hold about where you've been, who you've met, and what you're thinking. That's why I recommend Start Mail, a private email service that keeps your inbox safe and lets you enjoy secure, ad-free communication without surveillance. Every message can be encrypted, and when you delete an email, it's gone forever. Plus, get unlimited disposable email aliases to protect your identity. Ditch the spy mail and get Start Mail. Right now, Bards FM listeners can save 50% on the first year. Go to startmail.com forward slash Bards. That's Start Mail with a T. Startmail.com forward slash Bards. Right now to save 50%. This is one of the most important things you can do is to secure your email communications. Again, startmail.com forward slash Bards to secure your email privacy and your personal security. So without further ado, let me introduce to you, Coe Griffin. Well, Patriots, today we have an exceptional guest, someone I've been wanting to get on the show for a long time, and this is Coe Griffin, and he is the founder of Cowboys for Trump. He was, he's been tied up in some of the January 6th debacle, and he's also a county commissioner with an amazing story of what they managed to do to him on that. He is truly a a throwback to the old America, in my opinion, a reminder of how this country was founded in the spirit of what it was founded on. So it is truly a blessing to have this man on the show. I had a chance to meet him face to face finally after we played Foden Tag forever when I was down on my trip and I ran into him in New Mexico. We just synced up right away. So that always tells you something because that's kind of a God connection right there. And he is also a strong man of faith. So, Coey, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Scott, thank you so much. I'm I'm great, and I uh, can't tell you what an honor it is to be on with you today. Well, you've got a lot of story. And I, I want to start just with kind of a little bit about you so people get to know you a bit. And I also want to get into how that leads to just set the groundwork because we got a lot to cover. we got a, your county commission role, your Cowboys for Trump role, your January 6th debacle but let's hear a little bit about you first absolutely you know i grew up in a small rural community here in new mexico um, to a family of loggers and sawmillers um, making our living off the land and and dealing with the injustices of the federal government where we we were buying timber from the forest service and through the endangered species act um, they shut our sawmill down um, we we kept hammering it out i uh I've, I've lived overseas. I, I worked in the Buffalo Bills Wild West show in Paris, France after high school. Um, got a, a strong look at socialism over there. 
um, felt God moving me towards the area of ministry. Um, I spent about five years working in the show in France. I came back in 03. Um, I felt the Lord call me to ride a horse from Golden Gate to Golden Gate, from the Golden Gate of San Francisco to the Golden Gate of Jerusalem. I started in 2006. Um, I rode horseback across the states twice. It took me five and a half months, both rounds. And then in 2008, God opened a door for me to ride across Europe. I started in Ireland. I rode across Ireland, England, France, Germany, Austria, Slovenia, Hungary, Romania, Bulgaria, to the tip of Greece. I um, left the horse in the rig in Greece, flew to Israel, um, and had a great honor of carrying the Christian flag through the old city of Jerusalem horseback, um, all in an attempt to share the, share the gospel. You know, it was a real attention grabber. Um, whenever I was riding through these different big cities and, and through that attention, I could um, encourage people to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, put their faith in him. I handed out the gospel of John as I went along the way. Um, it was a blessed ministry after that. And after 08, I came back to the States. I went back to helping my dad with his outfit business now, um, hunting elk here in New Mexico. Uh, got a call to pastor Cowboy Church here in uh, Almagorda, New Mexico, New Heart Cowboy Church. Um, I I really prayed and sought the Lord and felt the Lord lead me um, to pastor. So I pastored the church for about five and a half years. And that amount of time, I I opened a business, a barbecue business. I, I grew it into a couple different uh, locations. Um, and and just, you know, Scott, every morning I preached about the immorality and the oppression in our world. I'd preach on Sunday and then I'd live it through the week running a small business. And I got tired of just having a voice, brother. And I, I wanted a vote. I wanted a place at the table. And that that moved me into the world of politics where I ran for county commissioner here in Otero County, um, won by a huge majority because the people of my county knew me. They knew what I stood for. They knew the, the convictions that I had. So I won the office. Um, I started watching the president, uh, Trump, as he, uh, as he made big moves on our southern border to secure our border. Uh, and I really appreciated that because we're a county directly affected by it. So by doing that, I formed the group Cowboys for Trump, totally organic, grassroots. It just came with an idea from, from the Lord to form a group called Cowboys for Trump. And I, I led a, an entourage of Cowboys and, and one woman down the uh, Potomac River from Cumberland, Maryland, into Washington, D.C. on uh, February the 15th of 2019. Um, and, uh, and that was kind of the, our first ride. Um, that was where the it kind of grew from there. Um, I began to travel with my horse once again, as I did before in the ministry. Um, you know, this time I did it in the political world, but you know, both, both of it kind of parallel each other, Scott, because, um, you know, they both got a message. One's a, an eternal message, uh, through faith and the other ones, I guess you'd call a carnal message in the political sense, but, uh, but they're a message all the same. And I, I feel like God really gave me a great platform um, to ride my horse in these b different big cities, um, carrying the American flag or the We the People flag, and uh, encouraging people to really consider uh, politics and, and, and just trying to wake people up, the same thing you're doing. Um, and, and through that, I, I was able to visit. The, after the first ride, I spoke to President Trump on the phone for about 20 minutes. Um, I, I told him about the dire conditions of our national forests here in New Mexico and the, and the horrible threat of fire danger um, that we, we face. Uh, President Trump gave me his word on the phone. He said, cool, I'm going to fix your problem. He put me in touch with 
uh, the leadership of the ag department, some other agencies, and and we were starting to make headway, and then COVID hit, and uh, and and shut everybody down. It shut those guys from coming out here to Otero County, but I kept I kept the fight up. You know, I I held a strong position against the masks. I held a strong position against the shutdowns and the vaccines, and I was screaming at the from the rooftops for President Trump not to go down that road because I feel like the Lord was really showing me it was a road that was going to lead to despair where we are today. But uh, but I was invited into the Oval Office on uh, September the 13th of 19. Um, I got to sit down at the Resolute desk with President Trump, which was a great honor. Um, and uh, just just really advocated for my state, for my county um, and 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 for the need for for representation on the lowest of levels. Um, and as you mentioned, January 6th, uh, I traveled to Washington, D.C. on January 6th to once again stand up for the president, um, to stand peacefully and patriotically. Um, where I was uh, after January 6th, I was, I was charged with a misdemeanor charge of trespass. I was um, thrown in solitary confinement in the D.C. Gulag in Washington, D.C. for three weeks. I know what it's like inside those walls, brother, and, and, and I can't explain it to you or your listeners because the torture you can't put into words, brother. It's a place of total destitution, um, and, uh, and, and I, I'm terrified that, to think that there's still men and women being held inside those walls because... What I went through, brother, I would never wish on my worst enemy um, the kind of treatment that I went through while in that D.C. gulag. But since I got out, I came back to my county. I never missed a county commission meeting. That three weeks fell right in between two of our monthly meetings. I never missed a meeting. I came back. I sat right back down in my chair. I went back to work for the county um, by being slandered by the local media, national media, um, as an insurrectionist or a violent person, which, you know, I didn't even go inside the Capitol on that day. I stood outside the Capitol and I prayed with people outside of the Capitol. Didn't do anything disruptive or disorderly. I was acquitted of a disorderly conduct charge um, after my criminal proceedings from January 6th. But, you know, my adversaries here in this county, they ran a recall campaign against me right after January 6th, trying to remove me from office. Um, the recall failed miserably. Only 28% of the people in my district signed that petition. Um, they, they spoke. The people spoke, said they wanted me to stay in office. Um, but since they couldn't get me out of office, Scott, through the recall petition, um, they used a civil lawsuit filed by three people that live outside of my county. It was held in a bench trial before a liberal Democrat judge in Santa Fe County, New Mexico. And through that civil lawsuit, the judge ruled on the grounds of insurrection and ordered me to be removed from office. Um, I'm the first person in over 100 years that has been removed from office under uh, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. And it's been difficult. But by God's grace, um, I'm still in the fight and, and I, I'm going to hold the line um, till the Lord says, you're done. Come on. <laughs> but I'm sorry to just ramble and ramble, but, uh, but I appreciate you giving me the opportunity. You've got some great stories. Amen. And one of them I want you to go on to a little bit is you're riding your horse in Jerusalem and how that, and all that, how that all happened, because that's a pretty wild story. Yeah, but the Jerusalem story, you know, I traveled over there a few times after uh, 
I got done working in Paris in the Wild West show, and I felt the Lord just call me to ride from Golden Gate to Golden Gate, from the Golden Gate of San Francisco to the Golden Gate of Jerusalem. And I didn't know how it was going to come about. I didn't know how the Lord was going to open the doors, which would allow me to do that. But I knew it was from God, and I knew, um, you know, it takes steps of faith in order to be obedient. And so I saddled my horse in San Francisco and Easter Sunday of 2006, and uh, and watched God work, brother. And I can't even tell you the amazing miracles that I saw in the grace and favor that the Lord showed me as I traveled across the United States horseback. Um and then going across Europe, the connections that the Lord put in, in place. And brother, you can't imagine the blowback that I had from fa- friends and family whenever I told them I was going to ride a horse from Jeruz- from San Francisco to Jerusalem. You know, I mean, everybody deemed me as a crazy person and you're nuts. And how are you going to do it? And I just told them, I don't know how it's going to work. But I do know that God has called me. And I do know that I'm going to be obedient to this. And so... Um, the Lord, when the Lord opened the door for me to go after I traveled across the United States, um, twice in 06 and 07, um, the Lord opened the door to go across Europe and, uh, yeah, I mean, thousands of miles, countless testimonies, um, unbelievable opportunity to speak and lots of media that I hit too. um, you know, radio and TV across Europe. Um, just encouraging people to trust in Jesus as their savior and then riding through Jerusalem, as you mentioned, you know, I mean, um, that day was a day like I've never unbelievable to ride through Jaffa gate of the old city, carrying a Christian flag horseback. Um, I leased a horse when I got over to Israel, I leased horses throughout Europe. Um, I leased a horse in Ireland, uh, for about two weeks, I rode from Galway to Dublin and then turned that horse in. And we had a little rig with the trailer. I, we caught the ferry from Dublin to Liverpool, England. I leased another horse when I got to England, rode from Liverpool to London, um, rode around Buckingham Palace and, and, uh, and around London. Then we turned that horse in. We caught the ferry from Dover, England to Calais, France. And whenever I got to France, I found another little, little horse to use. And then I used that little horse all across uh, – you know, France, uh, Germany, Austria, Slovenia, Hungary, Romania, Bulgaria, Greece. And then, uh, and then the left the horse in the rig and the ancient city of Corinth and Greece and caught a flight to Israel and, uh, found another little Arab horse to, to, to lease whenever I got to Israel and, and, uh, completed the ministry brother. And, uh, all a testimony of God's grace and favor, you know, I mean, I take no, I boast not one bit in it. All I had to do is just keep my hat screwed down and keep, keep the sails pointed in the right direction. And the Lord did the rest. There are so many details in that. I'm going to ask a few and then we'll continue on, but yeah, I want to know a little bit about the horse you rode from San Francisco to the East coast. And then I want to know about how you we're able to feed the horse and water the horse along the way in a world anymore that doesn't have those facilities. Yeah. When, whenever I rode across the States, I used my own horses and, uh, you know, I rode whenever I started, I didn't know how the Lord was going to work it out. You know, I mean, I just drove out to San Francisco by myself, you know, I mean, um, I had a, a overhead camper on a Dodge pickup and a bumper pull trailer. And, uh, I saddled my horse in the pouring rain in San Francisco at the Golden Gate Bridge on 
in the Easter Sunday of 2006 and said, Lord, I don't know what I'm doing out here. I don't know how you're going to work this out, but I'm going to saddle this horse and I'm going to ride. And I rode and, uh, long story short, I wound up, uh, in jail or not in jail. They didn't throw me literally in jail, but they did have to take me down to the police station at the end of that day. I was trying to ride over the Bay bridge just to get to the other side. It's, I know it's a crazy story and I might've been about half crazy whenever I, I started. Um, and I may be a little bit crazy still today, but, um, but at the end of that, in the end of the first day, I felt the Lord called me to, to more just focus on the towns and communities along the way. So I, I didn't ride every inch of the way. I didn't just get on a horse and just disappear into the sunset. I used my truck and trailer, um, to, uh, to, to get from small, each community. It took about five and a half months to go from San Francisco to New York, but, I kept my truck and trailer with me where I still had feed and stuff for my horse. So I'd haul my horse into different communities, different towns. I might stop a ways outside of town and ride in, but I always found a way back to my truck and trailer at the end of every evening. The second year that I did it, I felt like the Lord was calling me to physically ride every, every inch of the way. So I started once again in 2007. That's why I did it twice going across the States in 07. I did it again. And what I would do is I would, I would drive my truck down the road and I would, I would find a place to park or I'd unload my horse where I'd left off the day before. And I'd tie him off the side of the road in the brush somewhere. And then I, I'd, I'd take my truck down the road and I, I'd, I'd pull it off the side of the road, wherever I was going to end the ride for that day. And then I'd hitchhike back to my horse. And then when, and I just catch a ride back to my horse and then I, you know, you put if you're a cowboy and you put the hood up on your truck on the side of the road, you can always get a ride. <laughs> you know, it might take a few cars, but so I literally hitchhiked and rode from San Francisco to Spanish Fork, Utah. And by the time I got to Spanish Fork, brother, I just uh you know, I rode across Highway 50 going across Nevada. Um and uh and then on into Spanish Fork from from California. I rode from ta I 50 most of the way i think but uh but it was uh man it was it was rough you know there was many times whenever i was just in prayer before the lord going lord what am i doing out here you know what am i mean it was it was a test of faith i can promise you that and i look back at it and you know i know that it was a call to serve the gospel um but I really feel like, you know, there was a lot more that took place during those rides. And that was just to build my faith to a point where I could trust the Lord the way I do today, because um, God really molded me and shaped me whenever I was out there on the back of that horse ride, you know, um, and uh, I've got I've got a lot of it journaled. I've got a lot of the, the ride, the original ride journaled. I, you know, social media wasn't around, so I didn't have any of that. But um but I took plenty of pictures and it's, it's pretty well documented, um, the ride, but it was really, it was, it was an experience. I can promise you that much. When we linked up in New Mexico, I was on my yeah. version of that drive across the United States, as you know, and that was sure. the same type of commitment to the Lord, just letting him guide every step. Yeah. That's a trip that's was planned to be four weeks and ended up being six and then two more after that. So a total of eight. So 
Talk a little bit about this deeper relationship with God. When you're truly listening, I mean, that only comes about by having a true personal relationship with the Amen. living God. And that's the key Amen. piece because I think so much of what we are in these days is we don't believe in two things or we discount it. I won't say we don't believe and a lot of people believe, but I don't think we value the essential need to have a relationship of a living, breathing relationship Amen. with the living God and Amen. a belief in the supernatural God. Talk about that. Amen. Amen, brother. And you know, I kind of going back in my personal testimony, whenever I, I lived and worked over in Paris, I was, you know, I was pretty caught up in the world. There was lots of partying and lots of running around. And, uh, you know, I just still made a profession of Jesus at any point in my life at that time. Was I saved? Um, I believe I was, you know, I, I, I came to the Lord whenever I was about 15 years old. I, I, uh, you know, who wants to go to hell? You know, I mean, I heard a condemning message at a revival in church and I thought, man, I want to give my life to the Lord, you know, and I, I, I went forward. Um, I, I gave my life to the Lord. I professed Jesus Christ as Lord over my life. I was baptized not long after. Um, but I didn't have any evidence really of, 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 of faith in my life. You know, um, I still was really caught up and blinded by the world. But God took me to a place um, whenever I was living over in Paris, France, that um, was a place of total and complete surrender. Um, whenever I was living in Paris, it was uh, it was in the early 2000s. And so if you remember the political climate during that time, it was when the America and France were at such odds, you know, and Jack Chirac, and George Bush, you know, and and uh, and here I was, an, an actual American cowboy living in Paris at that time, and all the Paris media was just about cowboy George Bush, this and that. So you can imagine um, the climate that I was living in, and I was I was a strong Bush supporter. You know, I I I I thought George Bush was was doing what was right for our country at the time, and so um, I got put into a place where it was really odd. You know. Um, I, I almost got kind of got driven to a place of total confusion where I wasn't sure about anything that was going on in my life or in the world other than the fact that I knew that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, resurrected back to life, and that he had died on a cross for my sins. That was like God took me to a place of such total confusion that the only real truth that I knew was that Jesus was Lord. And I came to a place, um, kind of a long story, but um, where I, I wound up in the forest out in Versailles, out, outside of Paris. And uh, I started walking through this forest and I started repenting and confessing Jesus Lord over my life. And it was one of the most amazing days of my life. Um, the, the peace that I felt, um, you know, just a place of total surrender, you know, not no longer just professing Jesus as Lord, but actually making him Lord over my life and surrendering my life to him and and basking in that sweet place of forgiveness of knowing that the blood of Jesus washes away all of our sins. And whenever I came to that place, um, it was a place of total redemption and revival for me in my life personally. And 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 God really changed the course of my life at that time is, you know, I, I wasn't in France probably three more months after that day and I was coming back here to the States. And and then I then I felt the Lord, as I mentioned, drawing me to Israel. And I, I just bought 
a flight ticket into Tel Aviv, uh, the first trip that I made to, uh, to Jerusalem. And I flew into Tel Aviv, not knowing where I was going to stay or where I was going to do. I got a cheroot down to the old city of Jerusalem. I met an Arab man there in the markets. Of course, you know how you get swarmed whenever you go into Jerusalem. And one, but one of those Arabs had a friend that had an apartment in his house. So I went and, uh, and I stayed with an Arab Muslim family for a month. Um, there in uh, in Jerusalem and every day I would go into the Jeru- the old city with this man and and I met all the other Arab Muslim shopkeepers from around there and you know again this was this was during the all- whole Iraq situation and that you know it was in it was in the middle of 03 probably um whenever I was in Jerusalem and uh during that trip brother one of the craziest things that happened over there is it was whenever Yasser Arafat I was there when Yasser Arafat passed away and one of those Arabs from Jerusalem asked me if I wanted to go down to the, his funeral. And I said, yeah, I'll go. And so we jumped in a taxi, a shirut, and we went into Ramallah down to where uh, they had Yasser Arafat, where they flew. If you remember back, they flew like three or four helicopters in there with his body into this compound. And uh, I was there. I was wearing my cowboy hat, and I had a <laughs> black vest on with the silver cross inlaid on the back of it. And I was carrying my Bible in the middle of, I mean, it was chaos uh, there in Ramallah on that day. But um, I don't know why I dove off into that story. But 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 my time in Jerusalem was amazing. You know, I, I was able to be around the Arab Muslims, you know, and one thing about the Arab Muslims is they were always extremely warm and welcoming to me. You know, uh, we had some very uh, strong debates on faith, you know, I mean, as you know, they tell me that the Quran and the Bible were both holy books sent from the same God. And I tell them, no, I don't believe that because God is not a God of confusion. You know, I believe that um, one is the truth and one is not the truth. And I know the truth. The truth lies in Jesus Christ as the son of God. He's not a prophet. He's not just a good teacher. He is the he's God manifested himself in the flesh through his son, Jesus, and died a perfect death on the cross or a per- lived a perfect life and died on the cross for our sins. And I was able to share this message with those uh, Arab Muslims in Jerusalem, if they received it or not, I don't know, but they were always really, they were always really uh, kind to me, you know, and I was able to have a lot of good uh, witnesses with them. And then, then we go into the Jewish neighborhoods, you know, and we go into Mer Sharim and some of the more Orthodox communities around Jerusalem. And we take our tracks with us and we go, try to share with them jesus and man it it was it got hostile sometimes you know i mean you uh you 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 can get into the heat of the battle whenever you go to um into certain neighborhoods over in jerusalem and try to talk to them about yeshua's messiah you know um but uh but it was all a great experience you know life is full of experiences i look back on my life and see how God has had me in different environments and different opportunities and seeing different parts of the world, um, maybe to shape me up in the, you know, the future that he has for, for me and for all of us, you know, I mean, we're all kind of a work in progress, but, uh, yeah, it was cool though. I, I do love yeah. those stories. And as you know, a bit about me, I spent three and a half years in Afghanistan yes. and I've said many Absolutely. times I've had amazing conversations about faith. Amen. With even with Taliban, and that's kind of crazy. Yeah. But I mean, there is 
there's really, there's a different, um, I'll just say it this way, there's a different maturity in the type of discussions that you can have when you're speaking truly from the living God. Amen. And in those areas, and I think you've just expressed that, is you're speaking from the source of the living God and you're speaking into communities that from the outside we see them as hostile to Christianity. Oh, yeah. And yet there's a discussion you're having. And that's sowing seeds ultimately, right? Is Amen. It, and, it's, and it's doing what we're called to do, which is to disciple and to be and to go to those places that are not always easy to walk. Amen. 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 You know, and I, you, you, if you gauge your, your, if you mark your path off of what you see in the media, I'd have never gone to is uh, to Jerusalem at that time because the media is telling me that the Arab Muslims, all they want to do is cut my head off, you know? And then, and then God leads me over there to actually sit down with them. And, uh, and I, I, I saw them in a different light, you know? I mean, um, not to say that, you know, they might've spoke ill about me after I left the room, but I never one time felt threatened around them. You know, I mean, I never one time felt, you know, like, they were hostile towards me now was i just simply in god's favor the whole time and god protected me from all that very well could have been you know but um but but it was a great experience and um and i'm very grateful for it you know and i look forward to being able to go back to jerusalem i hope one day i'm not going to get a vaccine to go back though i can promise you that much you know i'll (laughs) i'll watch it on tv before i do that but uh but if they make it where you can go back without getting a jab, then heck yeah, I'd love to go back to Jerusalem, you know. Well, let's let's dig into this a little bit. With the vaccine's a perfect segue. You have yeah. been outspoken against the vaccine, and that puts you at odds with President Trump, and you are founder okay. of the Cowboys for Trump. I founded Kilroy Rising, which was a pro-Trump super PAC during the 2016-2015 period. And I've been outspoken against the vax. That puts me at odds with President Trump. I'm a true believer that if we aren't speaking truth, regardless of who's in power, we're just succumbing to a form of idolatry. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Because this is a challenging moment here when we're trying to speak truth and th- speak that truth of the living God and and using the Holy Spirit as our foundation. And yet that puts us many times at odds with what people want to hear, what's comfortable, what their political worship is, et cetera. That's right. That's right. And you know, um, I, I, uh, as you mentioned, I, I have had differing, um, opinions on things, especially the vaccine, you know, um, and, and with Trump, his boast in, in operation warp speed and, uh, I, 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 I don't agree with it, you know, and, and I think that, um, I, I think that a lot of that has gotten back to the president. Um, and you know, president Trump, as I mentioned to you before we went on the show, you know, he's, he's never, he's never recognized Cowboys for Trump. He's, he's recognized all the other four Trump groups. Um, but he's never mouthed the words Cowboys for Trump. And I've been a lot of miles for the president. I've, I've, I've made huge sacrifices, not, not doing it, trying to get recognized, not doing it, try to, trying to impress the president. As God is my witness, the only reason why I made the effort and went the extra mile was for my country and for the America First agenda, because I believe in Trump's politics. I believe in, in the majors, you know, the border, the Second Amendment, the, if the most important of all defending life, you know, President Trump has a good position on those, but 
but the 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 vaccine is something that I believe that Trump is really going to need to address, and and the sooner the better. You know, um, how he's going to address it, I don't know. What he'll say about it, I don't know. But I pray for that Trump will do it in humility. You know, um, we all make mistakes. You know, nobody's perfect. Um, you know, there was a lot of bad information at the time. Um, that might have influenced his his position to support uh, the vaccine, but but I I truly do pray for the president, and I pray that um, he will address it. You know, uh, the last time I I saw anything about the president saying anything about the vaccine was whenever him and Bill O'Reilly were both popping off that they got the booster shots. You know, and. Uh, it's dangerous you know if the vaccine really is what i believe that it is then people are being compromised and president trump is a man of influence people follow him and they and they have confidence in what he says and so if trump is standing there saying i got my booster you should get yours too if if the booster is the poison that it very well could be that's a very dangerous place to, to, to speak from. And it's, it's dangerous precedence. And that's not, you know, I hope your listeners don't think that I'm bashing on the president by saying this. I'm not, I still believe that president Trump is, is, is the best man for the job right now. But I, I, I do believe that he needs to address some of these things, you know, I mean, um, I, I, I don't know, you know, we, we should question everything. And just because you question a man's leadership doesn't mean that you've turned on him or bashing him. The Rolling Stones ran some headlines on me where Cowboys for Trump founder is bashing Trump, you know, and that I've turned on President Trump and Politico and the Daily Beast and all the other left wing rags were were trying to make me out to look like I was bashing the president and I'm not bashing the president. I'm just I'm just questioning my elected leader and we should be able to have the grace in our country today to do that. And anybody that will condemn you for merely raising a question could possibly be one of those cult members that the media keeps talking about that are following Trump, because those are what that's what cultists do. Cultists never question their leader. They just follow him, whatever he says, whatever he does. And we don't need to fall into that group. We should always question. We should always consider. That's what keeps us alive and keeps us vibrant, keeps us moving in the right direction. And any elected leader that's truly a leader of, of, a, of an account should, should welcome criticism. Not to say that that's going to influence them or, or direct them. But, but a leader should always have a thick enough skin on them to be able to receive a different idea and at least consider it and then you know then they choose what they will but but if 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 trump keeps this operation warp speed thing saddled throughout his campaign it's not going to go away and i don't i think it's going to damage him big time because you know there's other people that are going to be running for president um that will be outspoken about it and he will have to address it eventually if he does it now he'll have to do it on a debate stage and right now would be a better time than a debate stage in my opinion i fully agree there's a quote by theodore roosevelt 
Patriotism means to stand by the country. It does not mean to stand by the president or any other public official, save exactly to the degree in which he himself stands by the country. It is patriotic to support him insofar as he efficiently serves the country. It is unpatriotic not to oppose him to the exact extent by that by if inefficiently or otherwise he fails in his duty to stand by the country. In either event, it is unpatriotic not to tell the truth, whether about the president or anyone else. It's a rather profound Amen. quote, and it's right there. You have had a stay in the D.C. Gulag. That's right. That was not a, a pretty event. No. This is one of these events with January 6th that is so convoluted. Um, you and I talked oh. about this down in New Mexico. I've stayed a bit away from the topic. I've had yeah. others come on board or come on the show that have um, expressed some of the challenges there. It's still difficult to sort out what's actually going on. Give us some insight into what is going on in the D.C. Gulag. For one, where is it? Oh, I, I physically, I, it's outside Washington, D.C. somewhere. Um, but it's like a, it's the where I was at was like a, it was like a supermax prison. Um, and we were each in individual cells. I was there was about 13 of us, I believe, in the wing that in the pod that I was in. Um, I, my cell was right next to Jake Angeli, the, the QAnon shaman. They would let us out two at a time, typically, um, whenever they would let us out for one hour a day. And usually it was me and Jake that would get out um, at the same time together. But, you know, Richard Bigel Barnett was in there, the guy that had his feet up on Nancy Pelosi's desk. Um, Dominic Peziola, the, the proud boy, he was in there on that same wing that I was in. I got to know all the well, I can't say we got really got to know each other. We'd say hi through glass doors whenever we get out for a minute. But um but partner, I tell you what, I spent three weeks in there, Scott, and I don't know how I could have spent one more day. I mean, um the type of torture in that place is is beyond words. Um I mean, they, they had me in whenever they first put me in there, I was in there for nine days and they didn't even let me take a shower. You know, and and that might that might be something that kind of passes over people and people don't really think about it. But, you know, I'd like to ask your listeners, how many how many days have they ever been without a shower, you know, without feeling water on your body and being able to clean yourself? I mean, um, it's 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 so extremely torturous. The food, I could go into detail on that. It, it, it would be something that I would feed somebody that I hated with all my gut, all my hated their guts. You know, the food was horrible. Um, the treatment of the jail guards is, is horrible. Um, and the reason being is a lot of the jail guards, uh, they spoke with strong accents. 98% of them were black. Um, most of them, I think were like first generation Kenyans. I think a lot of them are from Kenya. Um, but because and they would speak in their own dialect and their own tongue uh, at what to each other. But the problem with it is these men and women have been told that all of the Trump people are racist. Okay, so so we go into their care and they look at us in this with the same heart that they look at somebody that would belong to the KKK. Okay. They look at us like we were that we are extreme racist. So you can imagine how that translates over into the treatment that we 
received from these people while we were in there. I mean, unbelievable how terrible it was, uh, Scott. And, you know, the thing that is probably was probably the hardest for me, okay, is because I didn't feel like I had done anything wrong. All right. I, I didn't, I still to this day, I have no conviction over anything that I did on that day. If I would have assaulted a police officer, if I would have done broken the glass out of the building, then I could have probably gone into that environment and know that I had broken the law and mentally I would have been able to have received it. But whenever you get completely blindsided and you get thrown into those kind of conditions with the mindset, that you didn't do anything wrong, then it, it's a whole nother level of torture, you know? And, and the one thing that kept rolling over and over in my mind, as I sat in that jail cell in Washington, DC was why isn't anybody doing anything? You know, I, I was just astounded and really just blown away by the fact that nobody's saying anything, nobody's doing anything. I mean, you feel completely abandoned. Um, by your country and to be honest with you i felt totally abandoned by president trump too because i haven't i haven't heard trump advocate and this isn't to bash president trump for everybody out there that all of a sudden they're getting their bristles up right now thinking i'm going to go off on the president it's not to bash him but it's just i don't understand i don't understand why they don't advocate more strongly for for the prisoners of January the 6th, I mean, we have we have abuses right here in our own country that they have in, in these third world road countries like North Korea and China and stuff, you know. I mean, this is going on right here in the USA, and I just wish that President Trump would, would speak up more loudly and more boldly about the abuses of January the 6th and and those that have been caught in this political crossfire, you know, because it's exactly what it is. I mean, I, I don't know. I think I, I believe it was a setup. You know, I know there was informants in the crowd. Ray Epps was never even charged with anything. And he was one of the first people that went across into the Capitol property. We've all seen the videos of him encouraging people to go inside the building. And Ray Epps isn't even charged but yet i'm thrown in there for three weeks and slandered nationally on the state level and local level and the media as being an insurrectionist against my country it's just it's beyond imagination you know this then led to a bit of a fiasco down in your hometown and your home county because they used that That's as right. a way to oust you talk a little bit about that that's right. Yeah. You know, I'm the first person in over a hundred years that's been removed from office under section three of the 14th amendment. And, uh, they only removed me from office, Scott, after their recall petition failed against me. Um, after January the 6th, my political adversaries around here ran a recall against me that couldn't get 28% of the people in my, my district to sign their recall. So since they couldn't remove me from office through a recall petition, they did it through a civil lawsuit on a bench trial before a liberal Democrat judge in Santa Fe County, which is a very liberal county. So they took me, a duly elected county commissioner, they, re they took me out of my county. They had a trial in a very liberal county. I had 
I had attorneys of the likes of Lawrence Tribe, Dan Abrams, Erwin Shermansky, the NAACP. They all entered into this civil lawsuit against me with grounds of insurrection. As I sat there pro se, I didn't even have an attorney because I had a motion filed that the, this judge that, that um, oversaw this lawsuit did not have jurisdictional standing to rule in grounds of insurrection. It never should have gone to trial, but it did. I didn't have an attorney, um, and I got ate up in there. But at the same time, um, it was really I'm, – I'm really glad that it went the way it did because even if I would have had an attorney and spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on an attorney, I still would have gotten the same verdict. You know, I was, I was convicted before I was ever tried. You know, um, but I was able to cross examine uh, a Capitol Police officer, Daniel Hodges. Um, I caught him in, in, in two lies while he was there. Um, and this is all in the in the transcripts of the of the proceedings. It's all recorded. He he talked about how the doors were left the way they were to lure people around to the other side. He used the words lure in court. And he also denied knowing um, Lila Morris, who was the D.C. Capitol Police officer that beat Roseanne Boylan so savagely on the West Side. Um, so there's a lot of stuff that came out of that trial that's good. But they did remove me through a court, state district court order. My county sheriff here in Otero County didn't stand by my side. My county didn't stand by my side. They just told me to go get your stuff and get out of your office, um, which leaves a lot of heartburn. You know, um, I feel like my county could have done uh, much more. But, you know, the county sheriff here, whenever I was going through uh, horrible attacks after January 6th, I was receiving death threats every day. People tell people sending me photographs of me and my family with crosshairs on our heads and just crazy stuff. And I turn that stuff over to the county sheriff and ask him if he do something. And he responds back to me and says, well, cool, you know, maybe if you keep your mouth shut, some of this stuff wouldn't be happening to you, you know. Um, so it's been tough. It's been I've been put in a difficult spot, but God's grace and favor will get me through. You know, I mean, I I. Uh, I know that I know that we'll get through it. You're still ministering at your church. I'm not, I'm not, you know, um, no, I, I stepped down as a pastor. Um, about the time I got into politics, I was having some personal problems and, uh, you know, we brought another pastor in and, uh, and that's probably, that's probably one of the hardest things, um, now that I'm, find myself in a place of complaining um that was a that was a tough deal too with my home church scott you know because um i i still go to church to the same church that i pastor uh, new heart cowboy church but whenever i was going through all of this um the pastor of the church came to me and he told me he said coy goes you know if you come back to there he tells me coy you know there's been a lot of people that have come to me and said that they're not going to come back to church here if you come back <laughs> and I was like, wow, you know, I couldn't believe, um, what I was hearing because I, I've thought about it, Scott, and that's one of them that kind of got under my armor, you know, because your church is supposed to be part of your armor. You know, your church is supposed to be praying for you. Your pastor is supposed to be praying over you. Um, and whenever they, whenever he said that to me, I was like, 
unbelievable, you know. Um, but but at the same time, uh, you know, I, I guess we just have to continue to give grace to people, you know. And and there's there's a lot of people in the church that, um, you know, go to church just because it's a cool thing to do, and they're not really they're not really born again and they're not really operating in the spirit, you know, but that was, that was a tough one. That was probably, I, t- I told you the one about the sheriff saying, if you keep your mouth shut, some of this stuff wouldn't be happening to you. I kind of brush that one off, you know, but the one where my pastor came to me and said, you know, there's a lot of people from the church that probably aren't going to come back. If you come back to church, you're coy. That was one that really hit me hard, you know, because everything that I've been doing since I've been in politics has been driven by my faith. You know, it's been driven by wanting to honor and to serve God. Um, and a lot of the pastors and a lot of the churches right now are so lukewarm that they're going to be spit out of the Lord's mouth whenever he comes back. You know, you look at a lot of the churches and a lot of the clergy's looking out the windows of the church building, wishing Jesus would come back so he could take care of all those bad people out there in the world. But they don't realize that when Jesus comes again, judgment's going to start in the house of the Lord. It's going to start in the body of Christ. Christians and pastors need to get it on their minds. You know, a while back I had a a resolution written here in Otero County, a, a sanctuary of life resolution after Roe v. Wade was turned over. I thought this is a good time for the county to come together pass a resolution that states our position on life so i had this sanctuary of life resolution drafted inside the county called a special meeting i called all the local pastors and stuff from around the area to show up to support this in churches and only one pastor from this area showed up and the only reason why he did i think is because i had his arm wrenched up behind his back forcing him to you know but here we have so many pastors, Scott, that will speak so boldly on life and speak so boldly against the world on a Sunday morning while they're hiding behind a bunch of skirts in church. But then when it comes to actual legislative uh, action that could actually really be passed to protect life, you can't even get these pastors to show up. And probably the reason why is because they feel like they're going to get slandered in the media or their 501c3s are going to come under attack or you know they're going to look bad and so they can't even show up to a public hearing to speak to support a legislative action that would protect life i tell you nobody and i don't believe anybody in our country is any more gifted right now to speak on the things that matter than our pastors Our pastors are wonderful speakers. They should know the word of God. They should be ground in it. And they should be going to these school board meetings. They should be going to these county commission meetings. They should be going to their village council meetings. They need to get out from behind the pulpits and they need to get engaged in the political side of their communities. And they need to stand up for for Christian principle and Christian ideals. It's, if our godly men would be more bold, if our pastors actually had a spine and would get out from behind their pulpits, our communities would look much different. Our country would look much different. But they're more guided by their 501c3s than they are the Spirit of God right now. And I, I hate saying that, but you know, sometimes the truth needs to be said, and I believe that is the truth. They're, they're, they're too concerned that their 501c3s might be affected, 
instead of getting in the get in the trenches get in the trench i mean if nothing else show up to your school board meeting and sit in the back and pray and pray over the meeting pray that god would meet the 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 elected leaders and and move on their hearts be physically present not saying well i'll be praying for you whenever you're sitting at the house no go to the meetings you know that's what we need i think the church needs to get engaged and the ones that lead the church are the pastors the pastors need to lead their flocks into those school board meetings what if what if these school board meetings that have such hot topics and issues being discussed what if the local pastors from that area were to tell their their congregation let's all meet down at the school board meeting this sunday if nothing more or next this week if nothing more just to pray with the people what what would that do what what would that do with the climate you know i mean it would do huge things but we have to have pastors that are willing to do it and right now unfortunately we don't those are words that we talk about a lot here about the collapse of the church, the feckless, spineless pastors that mm-hmm. have been involved out of the seminary, mm-hmm. people that don't have a will anymore to stand with God, but rather stand with their money and their their offering plates. Yep. This gets under me a lot because I grew up with it in my small town and I saw the deceitfulness of the of the pulpit and how it would become corrupted by various aspects. It always reminds me of John eight forty four. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Sadly, the congregations have been swooned under this sort of pulpit, and it's not universal, but it's many, as you point out. Yeah. Yeah, and we don't see the strength of people, and and people themselves are weak because they're not they're they're looking to their pastor to tell them at the pulpit that itself has been corrupted to to be told how to relate to Jesus, how to think about Jesus and Father God, yeah. and it's like uh, no, that is not his job. That is your job to seek, Amen. and in the process of seeking to find and create that deep and very intimate personal relationship with the living God. It's just that simple. Amen. I think what's fantastic about your testimony here today is is not only the courage which you continue to walk with with Father God and and that and how you carry Jesus with you and everywhere you go, Amen. but equally how God has shown you, and in, in my view of this, Koei, how he has brought the sword to the earth and everywhere you've gone to see the separation literally in the threshing floor of the wheat and the chaff. Yeah. You've seen in the church now itself, a church yeah. that you were part of and pastored, how yeah. itself was corrupted, not by your ministry, but mm-hmm. by the people's hearts. So that's sure. really an interesting place that I think we're all in there. As we kind of wrap this up, what are some words that you have to people right now in these times coming from your heart and this walk that you've had, you've been thrown around, you've been thrashed around, and yet you still walk boldly in your faith and trust in the living God and trust in Jesus. Talk about that. You know, I think, brother, it's just to, just to remain focused on the greater good. You know, um, we have a very short time in this life. You know, the Bible says that our lives in this world are like a wisp of smoke, a vapor. We're here today and we're gone tomorrow. And whenever, if a, if a, if a person is saved, whenever we leave this earth, we're going to be in the, in the physical presence of God in his kingdom, whenever we, after we die. So we will no we will no longer have the opportunity to walk by faith. We, we have 
a gift right now in this life, during this current time, right now in the present, that we will never have again after we leave this earth. And that's to serve God by faith. And so we need to do that sacrificially, you know. We, we need to be able to, to offer everything to God, to give everything up. Um, because nothing in this life matters other than your sacrifice and your service to the living God in the name of Jesus Christ. So, um, that would be, that would be and and just, yeah, do everything sacrificially, you know, and, and do it for our children, do it for our children's children, do it to, to fight back and, and, and secure the greatest nation that's ever been on this, on this, in this earth, you know, the United States of America, the American people, um, the land of the free and the home of the brave. Um, we have to fight back to take what's been taken from us. And, um, we do that peacefully. We do that patriotically and we do that legally. And I believe that that battle is, is, uh, one on the County level. Um, more importantly, through the office of the county sheriff, um, we need to support our county sheriffs. We need to demand that they honor their oaths. We need to demand that our county commissioners honor their oaths and not to be cowards to state mandates and federal mandates and federal money and state money, but to but to honor the people and the oaths that they have taken in the in the realm of freedom and liberty. And if we do that on the county level, we can take back our country. We need to quit looking at the top. We need to look right in your own community. And the pastors need to get involved and lead the charge. And if we can get this thing kicked off, America will come back and be in the, the shining city on a hill. But if we sit back and wait for Trump to fly in with his Trump cape on and think that he's going to save the day, we're, we're, we're going to be down, going down a road of despair, you know? I mean, um, and yeah, that would, that would be it, brother, just to really knuckle down on a local level. I think those are fantastic words. Goey, we always close with a prayer. And today I'd like to ask if you would close the prayer. Amen, brother. I'd be honored to. Father God, we thank you, Lord God, so much, Father, for the technology, Lord God, that you give to be able to, to send a message out, Father, to, uh, to parts in this United States and across and abroad, Father, to, to just encourage, Lord God, um, to move hearts to a place, Lord God, where they're bent towards you, Father, they're humble and submitted unto you, Lord God, and where we look to you, Father, for as our refuge and our and our victor, Lord God. We just pray that you continue to give us wisdom, Father, Father, to follow you. We pray, Lord God, that your Holy Spirit indwell every person, Father, in prayer right now, Lord God. May your Spirit minister to them, Father. May you ignite a fire in each person, Lord God, that's here in this prayer and, and gathered in prayer, Lord. And Father, May the name of your son, Jesus Christ, be honored, God, in all that we do. May it be exalted in, in all of our lives, Lord God. And may we hold fast to the promise of the resurrection and eternal life with you. I thank you, Lord, for Scott. I thank you, God, for this program, Bards FM, Lord God. I thank you, Father, for the rich blessing that you've poured out upon it and the wonderful family, God, of believers that you've built through it, Lord. May we continue to move forward together. And may we continue to focus our 
our hearts and our minds and, and all of all of our energy on you, Lord, to honor you and to serve you as we thank you, Father, in the precious name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you, brother. Amen. That was, that was good. Man, it was in a great story today. Thank you, Scott. I'm I I I I ramble and talk and I and you just whittle her down and 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 cut out the meat of it and uh and we just will pray that it'll have a, a good impact. It's gonna have a great impact. It's always a pleasure talking with you, Coey. Always. You I, too, brother. Love you, Scott. Keep up the good work, brother. Thank you, brother. Thank you for the opportunity. Uh-huh. Absolutely. All right. God bless. Bye bye. Bye bye. God bless. Well, Patriots, that was Coey Griffin. I just consider him to be one of those important, essential voices right now that we have in the American political scene and just in this whole awakening movement. Coey's the real deal. I had an honor and privilege to meet him down in New Mexico. And he lives and breathes everything he says. And when you see that in a man and you realize how short we are of strong men in this day, his role and what he's doing can't be understated. It's really an insane world we live in right now that's truly and perpetually trying to destroy the strength of the men. And we have to fight back on that. We need great men in this fight, and Coey is one of them. And we're going to see more of him in the future. He's one as well that walks the talk. And even though he gets knocked down, and I hope this message really got through, he never stops fighting because he keeps looking to God to guide him to the next steps. That is a real fighter. So, Patriots, thank you for being here tonight. Keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always keep your head in the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God always wins. But we are here in this place in this time for just such a time as this. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tonight for Fishers of Men. Until then or until the next time, God bless. And out for now. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. Every thoughtful citizen who despairs of war and wishes to bring peace should begin by looking inward, by examining his own attitude towards the possibilities of peace. Too many of us think it is impossible. Too many think it is unreal. But that is a dangerous, defeatist belief. It leads to the conclusion that war is inevitable, that mankind is doomed, that we are gripped by forces we cannot control. We need not accept that view. Our problems are man-made, therefore they can be solved by man, and man can be as big as he wants. No problem of human destiny is beyond human beings. Man's reason and spirit have often solved the seemingly unsolvable, and we believe they can do it again. Surely the opening vistas of space promise high costs and hardships as well as high reward. So it is not surprising that some would have us stay where we are a little longer to rest, to wait, 
bought this city of Houston, this state of Texas, this country of the United States was not built by those who waited and rested and wished to look behind them. This country was conquered by those who move forward, and so will space. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept. The energy, the faith, the devotion, which we bring to this endeavor, will light our country and all who serve it. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. thousands of years to show its face. It has only one intent, to destroy God's light and to enslave. It has no scruples, it has no rules but one, to win at any cost. But we will never bow, for we are the remnant that will hold the line. This is war. We fight. Push. We climb. We never give in. We become the nightmare that evil didn't know could exist. We pray. We stand. We live by the words in God we trust. We fear nothing. We are the light that can never be extinguished. We are patriots. We are the digital army that will help deliver God's wrath. 